Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it's your Smash Smash Bruiser, and what are you going to pick for this? Oh, well, I guess it's easy, actually, for the wizard. I'm your sexy general's daughter. What? Bruiser Jake Young. You're not going to go with the... Va-va-voom, honey, honeysuckle. <laughs> You're not going to go with the alter ego? I mean, come on, Bruce Banner wizard. Bruce Banner's fucking boring. He's a scientist whose daddy fucked him up and okay he's actually a fascinating look character. I'll give it to you he's puny but that's about all I'll say I mean I think I see a lot of myself in Bruce Banner unfortunately I feel like we're just two <laughs> hulks with a podcast neither of us are particularly smart <laughs> yes. or good at science we both knock things over a lot when we move around in small spaces we both uh, use stunted English and refer to ourselves <laughs> in the third person we're both unable to fuck our girlfriends or rather fiance and wife because we just fucked so hard and so crazy that they just couldn't handle it. Uh, we both are <laughs> we're part of teams that then we got kicked out of because we were too violent and <laughs> controversial. And Jake just hit a light in this room, so I mean it's really feeding through. I feel like we're really getting this. Well, today obviously you probably saw the title of the episode before you chose that. Who just presses play on an episode before actually looking our at the name? Our best fans, the thank coolest you. people. By the way, thank you for being our best fans. Oh, uh, just that. you see the icon on the pod, new podcast list and you're just like, oh, fuck you, <laughs> So, of course, today we're talking about Hulk and I'm going to give a synopsis because I want to be better at this. I feel like we dive immediately into the history of everything without explaining what it is and in this case, it's very obvious, but I'm just going to say Dr. Bruce Banner, a very timid and awkward <laughs> science, uh, physicist, has an accident in the lab that expo- in a lab that exposed him to gamma rays after the detonation of an experimental bomb, and this transforms him into the Hulk. Actually, Hulk you know smash. what's you know what's a better uh, summation of the character is the uh, theme song from the 1960s cartoon. If you can uh, play that, because it has maybe my favorite lyric in all of theme songs. Okay, history. cool. Man, yeah, let's if hit you it. can play that. Dr. Bruce Banner, (laughs) pelted by gamma rays, (laughs) turns into the Hulk, 
Ain't he unglamorous? Oh yeah, that uh, Ain't doesn't he rhyme unglamorous? at all. Uh, so of course the Hulk, uh, Branner becomes Hulk when he becomes super stressed out, when he becomes really angry or afraid or anything like that. He originally transferred at night, actually, but this was later changed, starting with Avengers number three. You're gonna see a lot of things change from its original. Oh, it uh, conception. changed a bunch. And uh, yeah, it's said to uh, to be due to his having multiple personality disorder, which gets explored in later comics in great depth in a wonderful way. Uh, from when he was abused by his father as a child. Now, that is just a basic rundown of the Hulk. Let's get into it. What, Let's makes, what makes the Hulk an essentially Marvel-based character is that the Hulk is the strongest one there is. Yeah. He is literally, no one can. No one is stronger than the Hulk unless like you're a cosmic thing and you need to do a thing where you show how cool your new villain is by right. having him catch the Hulk's fist, which every fucking <laughs> villain does. But the Hulk is, uh, even in the Marvel Universe, is somehow still like held by reality held it's it's more subdued than dc universe so for a character to be able to be strong enough to lift mountains to break planets to carry five quintillion tons he has to be loco he has to have a child's brain it can't be just pure strength like un un unbridled. Ugh, could you imagine like an end game scenario where he had sort of the best of both worlds like super strength but also had his brain um yeah, <laughs> but that's an end point. You, you can't yeah, go straight. It's, th- it's a less compelling character if you go straight there. You know, I didn't even think about, you know, we call it the gush, right, Jake? Mm-hmm. And I actually don't think I could even tell you what, my, like, the Hulk is like God or something. It's just always been there, the concept <laughs> of it. You know what I mean? And maybe like, like, I don't know when I was introduced to the Hulk. Probably like mostly in just pop culture references and things like that you know what i mean i mean i didn't watch the 70s tv show which we'll get into i didn't uh read hulk comic books really i was reading x-men nobody nobody really reads hulk comic books except when a writer actually stumbles upon a new twist and i love the stuff we found with the hulk because i i I have added to my comic book reading list by doing this episode and i'm really excited about what is to come when it comes to picking up some of these amazing hulk trades do you have a relationship with hulk some people are just like you know like some people like joker people like some people just are hulk people like that's very true that is what they and i will respect a hulk person way more than a (laughs) joker Joker person? Yes, yes. Because the Hulk isn't cool, except Joe fix it, but we'll get into him. Uh, the Hulk isn't cool. The Hulk is just, there's a duality. Like, you know, there's a proper side and there's a savage side. Yeah. You know, going an, full beast mode. It's and, an and exploration racing. of human psychology. It's a fascinating Exactly, as you said, duality. And and I think that there is a lot to pull. It, it, on its surface, it's just this big, simple, green monster thing. But underneath it all, I think that you get uh, – you can really find some great depth in the character. So, do, yeah. Holden, I, can I regress? Can I go sure, back into my please. mind's eye? Please. The year is 1990. Okay. I am a child. Oh, my God, he's physically turning into a boy. My stubby, chubby <laughs> finger. Oh, no, wait, those are just how my fingers normally no, look. No, yeah, the fingers are still chubby. He's just a little boy. Um, <laughs> and I see on the television, on the on the standard definition television, a movie, a live-action movie okay. starring the Hulk. Okay. And, it's, and I'm so excited because I, rem- <laughs> I, 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 I like in comic books, the Hulk is a big, strong, cool guy who's 
smashes stuff. In this spiritual realm you're in right now, were you reading like Avengers books to get yourself some Hulk action or not really? I don't think, I think I was just flipping through the pictures. I think I just had like trading cards and maybe like kids books that were starring these characters. Trading cards. I definitely probably, I know I had Hulk trading cards. But I kept watching this, this, this movie and, the Hulk didn't show up. There was a guy, and it, I think he was the one who's supposed to turn to the Hulk, but he just doesn't want to turn into the Hulk. He spends a majority of the story trying not to become the Hulk. And then finally, after being so bored for so long, he turns into the Hulk, and his eyes turn all green, and the back of his shirt is shown ripping, and he emerges, and he's a green Italian guy in a shitty wig. <laughs> I'm so confused because the Hulk is just like, so, Hi, I'm Lou Ferrigno. So, Woo. Wait, so you saw, oh, you saw. No, the TV movies. I thought movies. you were talking about Aang. No, you, no. I was a saw kid. the the like three, which one of the three The TV one with movies? Daredevil. The, I forget which, the Trial of the Incredible Hulk or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's but, one of them. But shitty Daredevil that and shitty Hulk. And I just remember feeling, and that's the uh, that's the problem with, uh, with almost any Hulk adaptation is 80% of the movie is going to be Dr. Bruce being like, no, yeah. no audience. I'm not going to give you yes. the only reason you showed up. Totally, totally, yeah. And and that is one of the reasons why I will, um, and we will talk about this later, I want to unpack when we get into the movies why there has not been a Mark Ruffalo-helmed solo, singular, incredible Hulk film. And yes, there's definitely rights reasons for that. But also, I feel like exactly what you said is true. And I think that that's why Hulk exists the best when, <laughs> sur- like, a, so as a support character, surrounded by other cool heroes doing other cool stuff. So that when the Hulk does happen, yes, it's a buildup. Yes, you get to still have that. Like, I don't want to. Will he do it? But but it, it's less aggravating because you have <laughs> Captain America fucking, you know, fighting Thor and whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and so it doesn't. It doesn't feel so like draining to like sit and and wait 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 just for this like doctor to finally let his bullshit and it's go. for character and just actual budgetary reasons as well. Yeah, completely. Like, it's, and it's just very hard to like animate a Hulk for that much time. But anyways, we're gonna get to that later. Let's get into the origin story of the Hulk, and that of course is gonna take us right back to uh let's go to the marvel offices this is the 60s correct yeah i'm doing the monkey is it the swinging 60s when this happens oh yeah yeah he's doing the monkey by the way right now guys and he's a hunky monkey right now guys this of course hulk hulk written by this is the formal credits by the way so this all gets wishy-washy as per every marvel origin story for superheroes Written by Stanley, co-plotted and penciled by Jack Kirby, and inked by Paul Reinman. We have talked about these guys in other several episodes in the past. We even we did an episode on Stanley, right? Mm-hmm. We should do an episode probably on Jack Kirby at some point, but I don't even know at this point because I feel like we've covered him in so many other episodes. I, yeah, we have, and we did a uh, and Steve Ditko did uh, later uh-huh. issues of this run, and we yes. definitely did a Ditko dive in our Spider-Man run. Yeah, and Wolverine because one of the most notable things about early Hulk stories is that it gave us the first appearance of Wolverine. Almost more important than the actual run was just that it. It uh, brought us a new character. 
for the X-Men. So Stan Lee had just come off of the first line of Marvel books, the Fantastic Four, and he always has a big honkin' quote about how he came up with uh, the, uh, one, any one particular superhero. So here it is uh, in perpetuity. It was patently apparent that Thing was the most popular character in Fantastic Four. For a long time, I'd been aware of the fact that people were more likely to favor someone who was less than perfect. It's a safe bet that you remember Quasimodo, but how easily can you name any of the heroic, handsomer, more glamorous characters in The Hunchback of Notre Dame? And then there's Frankenstein. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Frankenstein's monster. No one could ever convince me that he was a bad guy. He never wanted to hurt anyone. He merely groped his torturous way through a second life, trying to defend himself, trying to come to terms with those who sought to destroy him. I decided I might as well borrow from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as well. Our protagonist would constantly change from his normal identity to his superhuman alter ego and back again. Uh, Kirby cites something else that he witnessed personally as the grand inspiration for Hulk. He says, The Hulk I created when I saw a woman lift a car. Her baby was caught under the running board of this car. The little child was playing in the gutter, and he was crawling from the gutter onto the sidewalk under the running board of this car. He was playing in the gutter. His mother was horrified. She looked from the rear window of the car, and this woman, in desperation, lifted the rear end of the car. It suddenly came to me that in desperation, we can all do that. We can knock down our walls. We can go berserk, which we do. You know what happens when we're in a rage? You can tear a house down. I created a character who did all that and called him the Hulk. Notice they both say I. Very mm. interesting. Notice they both say I. Um, that's kind of amazing because you – uh, do you think he really saw that? Because I feel like that's such an old school, like, you know, tale. The mother lifting up the it's car to save the child. Specifically, a mother lifting up a car. Also, I assume back in, like, uh, Jack Kirby old timey times, cars were lighter? Maybe. So maybe he actually did maybe see that. Maybe he actually. They actually. Uh, it's actually weird that I didn't know this story. Uh, in the uh, pilot episode of the Incredible Hulk 70s show, mm-hmm. it is an, there's an entire sequence about a woman lifting a car to save her baby. Hmm. And, like, it's part of, like, uh, Dr. David Banner's whole raison de terre to, like, figure out where that level of strength comes from. So I don't... Basically, the idea that anger and stress equals physical strength is, yeah, the mom lifting the car is definitely where that comes from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can, like, in times of stress, do great things uh, because your body... Uh, doesn't let you use your full strength because otherwise we'd just be breaking our own bones and ripping our own <laughs> ligaments all the time. Wouldn't that be fucking rad? Wouldn't that be cool? You just rock and roll. You just walk down the street. A dude just like tries to fucking grab, like pick up a fire hydrant or some <laughs> shit. And he's just like, oh, oh. I feel like we need more Only of that. Only if in our I lives. get to inject something cool into my neck before I do it. <laughs> So I wanted to circle back around, too, to The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, a gothic novella by Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson, first published in 1886, about a man who investigates the odd occurrences of his friend Dr. Henry Jekyll and the serum that turns him into the evil Mr. Hyde. He took inspiration from his friendship, actually, with a teacher. This is really fascinating. He took inspiration from his friendship with a teacher who was conceived and executed for the murder of his wife by poisoning and was said to have murdered many others this way, the facts of which were unfolded to Stevenson at the trial to his shock. So I think he was just so just rocked by the fact that this guy could be so normal and friendly and just a buddy of his on the day-to-day and then be this, like, 
evil murderer um, in the evening times. And Jake was shocked when I brought this up, but I read this somewhere that um, the Gollum from Jewish folklore was cited by Not Leah's the, influence. Gollum is the precious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go- Golem. Like, go- oh, Golem. Okay. Golem. Golem. So, yeah, Schmeagol from Jewish folklore was cited. You but, son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> this was an anthropomorphic being magically created from inanimate matter. The, the connection is very loose. I'm not completely sure, but it was there, so I wrote it down, and there it is. I mean, in terms of a, a room full of Jewish dudes thinking of a hulking, gray-skinned, like, lumbering character. Although, in that first Hulk story, he is very erudite. It yes. is like The thing you have to understand about this initial run of the Hulk is that nobody knows what to do with this character. Yeah. Uh, once they introduce, you know, it's an incredible origin story with, like, that amazing uh, drawing of Banner getting pelted by gamma rays and, like, uh, you know, Rick Jones, the cool teenager on a motorcycle getting, like, pushed into the foxhole as the bomb goes off. Very cool, very interesting. And, like, the idea of a scrawny little kid becoming a, or not a kid, but, you know, an ectomorphic, just this scrawny nerd becoming just a, a, a powering uber jock is maybe the most common male fantasy in the entire world. Right, of course, of course. Um, also, speaking of the bomb, some say that Hulk is a reaction to the Cold War and threat of nuclear attack, assuming nuclear power could create monsters and mutants. And I definitely think that that is an underwritten influence. We go back, of course, to the times where people feared the bomb. Uh, and I think even though he did start out gray, which we'll get into in literally just a second, but then he does turn green. And I feel like that a green person is sort of has that like nuclear reactor kind of, you know, yeah. vibes. Uh, um, yeah, D- let it be known that uh, gamma rays uh, are basically just what we call all of the electromagnetic spectrum that uh, has a lower wavelength than X-rays. Mm. And because X-rays were discovered kind of uh, before gamma rays, for a while it was just like X-rays and then like they called them hard X-rays for just like higher energy uh, X-rays. And then eventually they kind of uh, uh, scientists discovered that there was alpha and beta and gamma rays. Uh, gamma rays, of course, able to penetrate through almost any form of matter, uh, which means that if you are exposed to them, you do not get stronger. You get, um, what's the word? Cancer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You just get like, your just blood starts come seeping out through your skin. It's real bad. Although, uh, due to, it's, it's, it's a photoelectric effect uh, that happens around the human body. We actually cause minor bursts of gamma radiation as uh, nucleuses in the air around us kind of degrade. Mm. And uh, so, you know, all of us are getting constantly a little Hulk energy and, you know, use that. Use that in your body. And that's been Science Corner with Jake. He knows some things and he's not fake. Oh, I am a hollow mask of a human being, but (laughs) thanks for the compliment. So we come back to the first appearance of the Hulk. Really quickly, Lee also liked the idea that the two would hate each other. Banner searching for a cure to rid himself of the monster, and the Hulk finding Banner to be a wimp and pathetic. Puny Banner, while Hulk smash. Uh, The first appearance of the Hulk is in The Incredible Hulk, number one, uh, in May of 1962. So we're in the 60s. Which is, by Marvel Marvel standards, giving the character his own uh, thing right off the bat. Yeah, kind of nuts. Instead of, like, introducing it in, like, Tales of mystery or like journey into amazement. Very surprising, and yet at the early same Marvel s- comics, by the way, the first uh, the first Buzzfeed. 
Yeah. These monsters will totally make you go gawooga. Yeah, you won't believe how much they got shut down in the at the monster parade. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever the fuck it. Uh, These five dragons it. will make you say, gosh. <laughs> Hulk gets blasted by a, a <laughs> ghost rider. All right, anyways, uh, they uh, he, he first appears Hulk number one. He's originally gray. And Stanley wanted this as to not denote any specific ethnic group, but apparently this is the story. I think there's a couple stories as to why this happened, but apparently the gray coloring was difficult for colorist Stan Goldberg, which resulted in a weird swath of gray tones with green. And Lee saw this product and decided, you know what, this just looks gross and weird. Let's just go with a green man. So um, he also went with Bruce Banner as the alter ego because Lee found alliterations were easier to remember. Bruce Banner, Peter Parker, what are the other ones? Those the only Reed two? Richards. Reed Richards. Sue Storm. Sue Storm. Oh, God. It's, we're never yeah, going to stop. let's play this game right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shit, shit, I'm bad shit. with names right now. I'm blanking like crazy, but you're nailing it, dude. Uh, all of them. Just fucking all of them. Henry Hickson, Rick Rock. Uh, <laughs> you're making these up. Tilda Swinton. Uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of them. He, uses, he does it a lot. Big bug, bad bug, boy bug. Oh my God. <laughs> We're trying to teach the people, Holden, and you just muddy the waters. Blue blood. Uh, That's not a name. Science Samantha. That's Carl Crickerton. <laughs> First of all, Carl Crickerton is one of the most underappreciated Marvel characters. Absolutely. When they shot him out into space, man, and he had to fucking find those fucking noodle lords. He ended up fucking smoking weed. All right. Uh, so God damn it. You are punchy today. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm just trying, you know, I want to keep it rocking. Um, so anyways, they also <laughs> fucked up and originally uh, at one point used the name Bob Banner in like one of the issues. Mm. And everyone was like, hey, I thought his name was Bruce Banner. And then they were like, oh, no. Um, ew, uh, his no. middle name is Robert. Yeah. You're welcome. His name's, no, I think it's Robert Bruce Banner. Oh, weird. Which is even weirder sounding. So I love how like a fuck up just gave him this clunky extra name. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, Robert Bruce Banner is the formal full name. And this series is so good, it gets canceled by it's issue number terrible. six. It you is can, not doing You that can good. find this on Marvel Unlimited. You can find this on many sketchy comic scans website where there's nothing but weird hentai game ads all around you and you can't read them in public because you look like a weird pervert. Love it. Uh, but these issues are genuinely a clusterfuck. Uh, from issue to issue, they change how the Hulk transforms. At one point, Bruce Banner has to like go to a lab and personally hit his like special gamma beam to change and change back. Uh, another time, they like make it so... Starts out where it's at night. Uh, Rick Jones is always involved. They, people fucking love Rick Jones. Rick Jones shows up in the Avengers, and I, I still don't understand the appeal of Rick Jones. It's literally just a white guy that they're like, hi, hello, I am a teenager. He's just a guy, right? He's, I was trying to figure that out. I mean, he's like a cool teenager. Okay. That's I play I play electric guitar and love motorcycles. Well, it's kind of like the uh, you always need this. It's like, um, you know, the Marx Brothers, right? You have to have like the one guy that's just a guy, you know? It's so weird. I mean, I think at least that's the thinking. I'm not agreeing with that thought, mm. but that is like maybe the thinking. Like, oh, we need like one. It's kind of like with me when I teach sketch comedy writing. I'm like, you can't have everybody. And this was like something Murderfist did a lot. So I'm kind of breaking my own like. Well, Murderfist's whole deal is breaking. I'm kind of making my own rule. I used to break, but um, and every on every 
stage or in every scene, you need someone on stage that is there to reflect the audience's opinion. Everybody on stage can't just be batshit nuts, <laughs> screaming nonsense, or like it just won't fly. Like audiences just, it just, they kind of lose it on those. You always need to have someone there just to bounce everything off of. And I think maybe that's was the concept for that guy. Uh, I know. I think Stan Lee, who at the, you know, during this time was an older man writing for a younger audience. It's just sure. like, hey, kids, you like, yourself yeah we need a rock and cool dude um for the kids to look up but to. they introduce uh the love triangle with uh Bet betty ross and thunderbolt ross and the idea that like it's he's a man on the run these are the first six issues yeah right? yeah yeah and then uh he gets a guest appearance after that this is now 63 gets a guest appearance in fantastic four number 12 and months later becomes a founding member of the avengers and from then on before he gets back into the incredible hulk and by the way founding member is kind of an air qu it's weird the first three epi uh three issues which I recommended if you wanted to like look for other Hulk stories. We the ended first... up covering this a lot in yeah. our Ant Man episode, but yeah. the whole like they threw in it's Stanley says like oh it's a great idea because the Hulk's such a wild card yeah. that you know is he gonna be join them is he gonna fight them is he gonna do whatever, uh, but those issues that the Hulk is in it's he's too powerful so literally the uh, half the issue is just about having to deal with what the like how the hulk can function yeah because either the hulk's gonna go in there and beat the villain because he's the fucking hulk or he's gonna go crazy and fight the avengers so, and so no matter the game what of like is he evil is he good is he our leader or do you know and, and it goes back and forth like that so it's very the, especially the avengers number one through three are very <laughs> hulk centric stories it's like if out. in every uh episode of law and order there was just a talking pirate ship <laughs> and like no matter what happens in the episode you gotta fucking deal, deal with, with the, the talking pirate head. ship you can't just not deal with the talking pirate i have so many cannons <laughs> like okay we need a deposition please <laughs> fuck why we thought this was a good idea <laughs> it's me detective matey <laughs> detective matey <laughs> uh so, so anyways, it, yeah, yeah. So so when does he get uh, brought into Tales to Astonish? So Jack Kirby, I love this little fact. Jack Kirby gets a letter from a college dorm apparently that let him them know Hulk had been chosen as their official mascot, and that was their sign that actually this character they were having struggles with was uh you know had a college audience, mm -hmm. and uh, this is leads to him becoming one of two features in Tales to Astonish, beginning with issue number sixty in nineteen sixty four. The villain and Hulk's nemesis, the leader, is introduced in Tales to Astonish number 62. The leader would go on to be a major Hulk villain. He is exposed to gamma radiation as well, creating a super intelligent brain-headed dude. If I remember, he's the big green brain guy. Uh, and then another big villain was created during th this time, and that was Abomination, which first appeared in issue number 90 in 67. So this is a pretty long run of Tales to Astonish uh, with Incredible Hulk having just a side Just to prove feature. how they still hadn't worked out the kinks in the, in the whole Hulk uh, idea, I read Tales to Astonish number 60, and uh, what they came up with is that when Bruce Banner gets too scared or angry or stressed out, he turns into the Hulk. But... When the Hulk gets too scared or angry, uh, he turns back into Bruce Banner. Weird. That's resulting in a lot of situations where Bruce Banner is like, oh, no. Ah, rah, yeah. Ah, ah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Very odd. That is funny. So, yes, you've got the abomination. Lee told artist Gil Kane, make him bigger and stronger than the Hulk, and we'll have a lot of fun with him. This then leads to The Incredible Hulk Volume 2 in April of 1968. 
this is uh, actually just a smooth transition. Tales to Astonish is renamed to The Incredible Hulk Volume 2, which ran from... Uh, ran until, rather, 1999. Len Wein, notable for co-creating Swamp Thing for DC and uh, soon to be known for creating Wolverine for Marvel, wrote on Incredible Hulk Volume 2, of course, as we get Wolverine introduced, I believe, during these times. Yes, uh, it was issues number 181 and, or 180 and 181 in October of 1974. And he wrote from uh, on the title from 74 to 78. Check out our Wolverine episode for more about him because we go way more in-depth about him then. Other writers included Archie Goodwin and Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont, of course, the guru of X-Men. And they also released a black and white book called The Rampaging Hulk, which got color treatment later on when just renamed to The Hulk at issue number 10 in 1978. Um, This all took place between the canceled initial series and the first appearance in uh, Tales to Astonish. Uh, Okay. So The Hulk is established as kind of this... uh Minor, you know, not the most successful character, but a valuable addition to the Marvel pantheon. Uh, He can guest in other books. He can introduce other characters. He's strong. He's a mutant. Uh, You don't know what allegiance he's going to be on. And the rights get uh, picked up for a TV show. Yes. And and this is where the Hulk story kind of uh, becomes solidified. This is where the Hulk status quo with like pop culture everywhere. Yes. I think in a lot of ways. It ran for 5 seasons starting in 1977 with 80 episodes aired. That's a lot. If you hit 100 episodes, you're essentially like rich for the rest of your life. Uh it got up to 80. The show was created by writer and producer Kenneth Johnson, who also did uh The 6 Million Dollar Man, Bionic yes. Woman, uh and so he's like the master of the 70s adventure anthology series and he is going to take a lot of liberties and create uh with his adaptation to make it more believable to a wide audience uh so according to a random video on youtube i watched uh ken johnson uh was offered the project and he didn't want any part of it but at the time he was reading les miserables ah yeah yeah what is the connection between Les Miserables, please explain this to me, and The Hulk. Because I saw that, that there was a connection in this part of the story. I have no fucking clue what that is. So, even though he worked primarily in fantastical adventure shows, he thought The Hulk was too much. It was too goofy. But, within the context... To be fair, those earlier stories were pretty fucking goofy. No, I mean, yeah. Uh, also, just from a practical standpoint, like, all the effects, all the transitions, how are you going to pull it off? But... The, the energy between uh, Jean Valjean and Javert, the, you know, the idea of this, this, per, this, ah. this, this good man being hounded uh, by yes. a, a singularly focused authoritarian is, is just, it, it matches the Hulk story so much. And there's so much drama there. And he finally saw a way that he could, ele- you know, in his mind, he was elevating, he could elevate this goofy kind of four color comic book into something that was high drama that was like prestige television so he makes the lab accident be not an atomic bomb test but a simple experiment he was performing on himself oh god i watched the pilot episode (laughs) and this is amazing okay so this is how fucking 70s the incredible hulk thing is uh it starts with david banner not bruce banner uh uh, ken says he officially made the change because uh he wanted to get rid of everything that made the series seem comic booky that made it cartoonish he wanted people to accept it as like drama and so David Banner is less alliterative. But in another interview, Stan Lee said that the reason they changed the name is because during the 70s, Bruce was considered an overly effeminate gay name. 
And that was why the suits demanded that it not be Bruce. So fucking stupid. Uh, yeah. Oh, but uh, in the opening sequence, uh, David Banner is in this lovey-dovey romance montage where him and his blonde, you know, permed 70s hair wife are like disco dancing together and like hemming pairs of bell bottoms together. Like just insane 70s, you know, Vaseline smear. It's like so of its time. I'm Mm -hmm. on the floor. And uh, then they get into a fucking horrifying car accident. And uh, David, you know, Bill Bixby's David Banner is just like trying to do the mama bear lift the car thing. And he can't. He becomes so driven but with like obsession over the fact that he couldn't summon the strength that he dedicates his life to just finding everybody who did get to pull off that beast mode psycho strength. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just makes him even more pissed off because he's like, you know, little old ladies being like, I was just so scared I kicked down the door. And then like then like a weird Guido is like, yeah, my fucking pa was like dying. So I fucking, you know, lifted the boulder. I don't know what I did. And it, and the, the idea he comes up with is that on days where there was more gamma radiation from the sun uh-huh. was the days where people could pull off that strength. And it wasn't his fault. He just lacked like the, the data just showed he didn't have enough gamma radiation that day. So he goes into a lab, blasts himself with gamma radiation and nothing happens. Nothing happens. What turns him into the Classic Hulk. Classic Hulk storyline. <laughs> what turns him into the Hulk is that he gets a flat tire in a thunderstorm, and he's so pissed off and wet and angry that he just turns into Lou Ferrigno, crushes it, and, like, just goes off into a rampage. He has, like, a Frankenstein moment with, a, you know, the Frankenstein little girl moment where, like, she offers him the flower. Yeah. And he's like, urgh. Yeah. And he gets shot in the shoulder by, a, like, a hunter. Everything's, like, crazy. And as you mentioned, Hulk in the show doesn't talk at all, just growls. Stan Lee said, when we started the television show, Ken said to me, you know, Stan, I don't think the Hulk should talk. The minute he said it, I knew he was right. In the comics, I had the Hulk talking like this, Hulk crush, Hulk get him. I could get away with that in a comic, but that would have sounded so silly if he spoke that way in a television show. Would it? I don't really know. Looks pretty silly on its own. But uh, the show is a hit. It is a incredible hit. It's almost a throwback to shows like The Fugitive. In fact, uh, that kind of, you know, wandering protagonist going from town to town, solving problems, meeting new people. You know, they didn't do it anymore. It wasn't economical. They, they spent a lot of money on this show because you had to hire new actors. You had to find new locations. Yeah, because he's always traveling around. That was his thing. Yeah, yeah. For uh, sure. Basically, every episode, he's either on his way to meet a scientist friend who says he can cure him or he's at a scientist friend who says he can cure him. But surprise, the scientist friend has a fucked up secret that he, else, that he then has to clear. Uh, there were two Hulk transformations. Every episode, yeah. that was like part of the business. And- it's like very much like Batman, old school Batman mm-hmm. TV show, where it was literally like to the dotted line formatted. Every single episode was the same. And uh, as a child, you don't realize that until about 50 episodes in. And then you're like, wait, it's all the same. Uh, it was greatly helped, by the way, by the iconic Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. Um, actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger I, uh, auditioned for the role of Hulk, but was turned down due to his height. Uh, Lou Ferrigno is a Brooklyn-born and of Italian scent dude, decent dude. Uh, he started weight training. He's also a decent Italian. He's also a decent Italian dude. He started weight training at 13 years old, creating his own uh, his own weights because he couldn't afford his own, using a broomstick and pails partially filled with cement. He was actually a big Hulk fan as a child. He competed in several bodybuilding competitions before turning to acting. Uh, and uh, yeah, you you. He's a big part of of 
the history of the Hulk. You can't really talk about the Hulk without mentioning his version they of the character. Never get the wig right. They can never get that wig right. Uh, no. And it also spawned those three made-for-TV films that we kind of referenced earlier: uh, the Incredible Hulk Returns, the Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and the Death of the Incredible Hulk, which was released in 1990 uh, with Bigsy and Ferrigno returning. So that was probably the Hulk that you saw. But if you can think of any like 1970s franchise, the board games, the lunch boxes, the T-shirts, like uh, yeah. this was a mass media phenomenon. Uh, Ken Johnson actually, uh, in the 2000s, put together a list, which I find amazingly hilarious, of literally every instigating incident from the TV show that caused David Banner to turn into the Hulk. So, uh, Holden, I'm going to need you to give me a number between 1 and 130. Uh, 72. 72. Uh, While blinded during this episode, wandering across an army training course, (laughs) he veered into a minefield. Why was he blinded? He was blinded in this episode. Give me another number. 36. Uh, 36. Uh, Somehow ran into a bear trap. (laughs) (laughs) One more. All right. uh, Let's go with mm, 89. 89. I'm going to get a – actually, no, 112 because I got to start running out of ideas by that point. Oh, yeah, 112. (laughs) Uh this time, this episode, he was paralyzed and caught in the middle of a barroom w- brawl <laughs> while trying to quietly wheelchair himself away. Uh, he was then hit by a flying body and knocked down a flight of stairs. See, mon- that's always going to be the money ones. That's always going to be the You know what? Can I ones. get one more? I'm liking this. Oh, yeah. This. I want 108. So I want another late bloomer. 108. Uh, okay. Uh, had several clay pots broken over his head <laughs> in the middle of a burning room. Uh, and then knocking an entire case of clay pots onto his head again, and then while lying very still and not tr- and trying to contain his anger, his pants catch on fire. If you were to give me these plot points without any source of reference, I would have said Three Stooges episode, right? <laughs> like if you were just like, hey, these are some plot points. What show do you think this was? It was from a long time ago. I would have said Three Stooges, son. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, can I read number 126? Please. Uh, unknowingly having a guy in a rock band uh, give some orange sunshine LSD to ah, his orange juice. Amazing. So that he had a really bad trip and turned into the Hulk. Amazing. That's great. So I love that there is a bit of counterculture happening in that series as well. They weren't afraid to pull none punches. Hi, everybody. Holden here. And today I want to talk to you about HelloFresh. My wife Lexi and I get HelloFresh every week because it helps us expand our horizons in the kitchen and makes cooking together way more fun than it used to be. That's because you receive step-by-step recipes that communicate simply and clearly exactly what you need to do for even the most novice of chefs like me. You also receive pre-measured ingredients so that you have everything you need to make uniquely delicious dinners in just around 30 minutes. Each week, you get to pick from 17 seasonal chef-curated recipes to get you out of your dinner rut. I was getting totally bored with my go-to recipes. With HelloFresh, I get to enjoy new and amazing dishes that not only breaks up the same old, same old, but gives me new ideas to explore in the kitchen, such as how to make yummy glazes and sauces I've never tried before. As a New Yorker, going to the grocery store can be difficult, and takeout gets very expensive. You can say goodbye to all of that because HelloFresh has you covered. Also, you can easily change your delivery days, food preferences, and skip a week whenever you need. It's just that flexible. Lex and I's favorite this week was the peppercorn gravy steak with roasted broccoli and garlic bread. Mmm, mmm. So yummy. 
For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Bruiser80 and enter Bruiser80. That's $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, and all you have to do is go to HelloFresh.com forward slash Bruiser80 and enter Bruiser80. I'm telling you guys, it really is absolutely a great way to expand everything you do in the kitchen. Thanks. Now I want to return to the comics for a little bit before we get to Hulk on the big screen and talk about a man named Peter David and his incredible run, The Incredible Hulk. Peter David's the guy we point to as like kind of the legendary, a uh, legendary Hulk writer. I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Bill Mantlo, who also did a really good run on the Hulk, uh, kind of around the same time as the TV show was ending in the 80s. Mm. And it was full of like, it was kind of one of the first times where they just sent Hulk on like a psychotropic cosmic journey. Think of it as like a cool. proto-Planet Hulk. Yeah. Kind of removing Which him. Which we'll get to if you don't know that reference. That's We're going to get to Planet Hulk as well. Yeah, kind of removing him from the context of just being on the run from the army and yeah. like being a superhero and kind of just throwing him amongst all these equally powerful, insane creatures and having him react in this as this savage avatar. What's the name of that? Uh, that is uh, the, the collected stories is known as Crossroads. Okay, cool. That reminds me of a different uh, storyline that I was going to recommend mm. for later. So- Peter David, let's give a little background on him because he's so synonymous with the history of the Hulk. As a child, his parents allowed him to read most comics except for, specifically, Marvel ones. They felt that characters who looked like monsters like Thing or the Hulk were not heroic enough. Uh, you know, they were all just these beasts. And so that, of course, just led to him uh, constantly reading Marvel comics, especially <laughs> ones centered around the Hulk and Thing. He loved those, and eventually they lightened up on that, but I do think it definitely helped his fandom grow as a rebellious child. Uh, so after attending NYU, he had was New York University, by the way, he had a short stint as a journalist and writer, but soon turned to book publishing after receiving tons of rejections for his work, which led him to a sales job at Marvel, which led to him selling a couple of Spider-Man stories to editor Jim Owsley, which led to editor Bob Harris offering Peter David the Incredible Hulk in the late 80s because at the time, Incredible Hulk was just shit. No one was really working. Like, it was just kind of dead in the tracks. And it's one of those stories, and I feel, I can't remember the exact references in my off the top of my head, but this happens a lot in comics where maybe it was Daredevil. I can't remember which ones it is. It's almost like a publishing a story. I mean, yeah, Frank Miller and Daredevil is a classic. Well, example. it's like, a, yeah, a tanking hero that was popular in the past. No one knows what to do with them. You've got this up-and-comer, and they give them the full keys to the car because they say, hey, we don't know what to do. Just go go nuts. If you can't, it's not like he's going to sell even less. It's always the recipe for success with so many of these stories we tell. And, and it really does connect, too, to the Mega Man Resident Evil story of, like, we're just going to be over here in the corner having cre full creative freedom <laughs> on this property. But, you know, it's because no one really cares about it. And that always ends up being the spectacular shit. And uh, I think it's so important to remember, like, don't necessarily aspire to um, sit at the popular table. Mm. Like, take on the side stuff. Go over there. Go see those unpopular goth girls. Hang out with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, this is real life advice. <laughs> so anyways, he gets the Hulk. And Can we get a t-shirt that's like, wizard in the bruiser? Go sit with the goth girls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so... 
he he takes over the comic and he digs deep into Hulk's multiple personality disorder that I mentioned before, the trauma he suffered from his childhood abuse done by his father, all these interesting takes. He also explores the periodic changes from the dumb green Hulk and adds on the more cerebral gray Hulk, the latter of which, what's his nickname again? Uh, okay, so yeah, I think. You, and by the way, I think yeah, I feel like you've got some you got some guns loaded for me, Jake. I want to hear it. I want them tittle bits you got, them juicy juices. Uh, it's almost as if the like Gray Hulk is like that. How do I how do I put this? Joe Fixit is not the Gray Hulk. It's not a one to one, but like it was a fun idea that it's like yeah, what happened to Gray Hulk? He was there the whole time, man. Uh-huh. The Joe Fixit run was about probably two years worth of stories within. Uh, Peter David's 12-year run on the Hulk, and it was the most 80s thing possible, where instead of being a mindless beast, instead of being this conflicted, uh, uh, you know, science, you know, puny banner raging against us, uh, the Hulk, Joe Fixit is just a gray-skinned mook, just a giant strong guy who's cunning, who's smart, and is obsessed with fucking materialism. It's about his apartment. Yeah. It's about his hot it's girlfriend. A, it's the ego Hulk. It's the side of Bruce Banner's personality that's ego. Because we, you know, we never said Bruce Banner. We said he was like scared and weak and puny. But he always, th- like, even from the very beginning, he considered himself like a great physicist that was better than most as a scientist. He still had that ego within him. And I think that this was the Hulk that spoke towards that, as well as the vanity and all those things that can exist in all of us. Yeah, so Joe Fixit is, like, just fully talking. He can trick other characters famously. Uh, he, like, has Spider-Man run into his business and, or, you know, tries to stop him. And he just, like, tricks Spider-Man into fighting a bunch of other mercenaries that was giving him issues <laughs> to just, like, take care of two problems at once. He, like, takes care to take off his expensive suit jacket before he has to go fight people. Uh, and he's 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 an off. He's an enforcer for, like, a, a Las Vegas mob boss. And... You know, it's about the fucking high-end appliances. It's about the nice apartment. It's about seeing the showgirls. Uh, it's about, like, taking care of his fuck-up of a hot girlfriend, Marla. Marlo or Marla? I forget. And uh, it's basically American Psycho. It's Hulk American Psycho. It is yuppie Hulk. It is, uh, it is fucking consumerist Hulk. And, you know, it just gives Peter David so much room to explore these fun ideas with a Hulk character. And by the way, this run is 12 years. This is a yeah. long ass run. This is, you know, this is Hulk for a, over a decade. Uh, and yeah, and it, and it's very interesting takes. There are there are a couple of, uh, when we get to the end and I have a couple of um, Hulk stories to maybe check out if you this this episode inspires you to do so. And half of them are Peter David. I mean, it's he he really did bring to the series. So I mean, really brought to the series enough to keep Hulk alive as its own standalone comic book. Cause yeah, I'm probably tra- would have gone away if uh, he hadn't done that. There's actually a fucking terrifying uh, single issue before Peter David's run where they actually establish Hulk's uh, abusive parents. Oh yeah, yeah, or his abusive dad who ends up killing his yes. mom. And like it's like a, it's like a re- redo of an origin a bit, right? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. They introduced the idea that like his dad was also a nuclear physicist who was like uh, hated him because he was scared that his own DNA was uh, tainted by radiation and that he was always going to be a monster. But uh, Peter David picks up that fucking football and runs with it. Yeah. He introduces like this whole universe of other Hulks within the Hulk, like Guilt Hulk, Devil Hulk, 
Uh, you know, Joe Fixit is there and comes out whenever. Uh, Savage Hulk is coming out whenever. Banner is switching bodies with Hulk. Uh, we also get the Professor Hulk in the 90s, where uh, the, it's first introduced as the idea of a merged Hulk who has, mm. you know, Banner's intelligence, Joe Fixit's cunning, and the Savage Hulk's strength. And uh, I actually, and you know, Professor Hulk is a fun character. It is fun to have just a strong, cool guy who's just like fixing problems, but everyone thinks and like gets to prove that he's not a monster. There's a lot of like really good art. Once you get to, a lot of these 90s Professor Hulk comics are just like just friendly, muscly dudes just hanging out together. They introduced the Pantheon, which is Peter David's just um, years before the authority comes into play, years before Ultimate Avengers, Pantheon and the and Professor Hulk is Peter David having fun with the idea of like, what could a superhero team that is like unbelievably powerful and has its shit together, what could they accomplish on the world stage? And it's kind of Peter David working out like the Mideast crisis and the drug problems and the AIDS crisis all through the lens of an incredible Hulk book. Very cool. It's very cool. And uh, it leads all the way into, as you said, the 90s. Apparently, as it said, the Marvel's power that be wanted the title to return to the savage green Hulk of olden times. They said, all right, too many Hulks. Let's pare it back down. Let's just get back to the green guy. It's very hard to summarize on the back of a, on an action figure card. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, so Peter David pushes back on that and is, is very stubborn about that. So they end up releasing him from the title. The run ends, though, with a very iconic issue for Hulk, and that is the Incredible Hulk number 467, which takes place in the future in which Rick Jones writes about what happened to Bruce Banner after the death of Betty Ross. And it's just, I've, I read a few panels. It seems just very beautifully, very eloquently closed out. At least uh, Hulk got its, the Peter David Hulk, rather, got his due at the very end. That's not the one shot where he just wants to die, right? I think it might be, based okay. on what I've looked at. Uh, there's a yeah, there's a one shot where he's just wandering the wreckage of yeah. a nuked society. Well, that's a lot. We get into that a lot actually, because the idea uh, is. That, oh yeah, you we know, didn't even go over the maestro, which is another whole well, version. Yeah, yeah, which we'll talk. I, I have that at the, for the end. Okay. But, but yeah, there's a lot of the idea that well, if you know the world kept going as it's going and warring and everything, and the you know everyone ends up finally dying off, like the Hulk would maybe be the only one left because of his strength and everything. Yeah, that's and so that's uh, yeah. It's also during this age where like the Cronenbergian kind of thing about the Hulk is where it's not just that he's strong. He can like if you fucking tie him, if you tie lead weights to his like feet and throw him to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, he'll grow gills. Like yeah. he's just an unstoppable force of adaptable like nature. Yeah. He is evolution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, oh, there's there's an idea. I don't know if this is during the Peter David run, but like. People, it's almost like the Flash and the Speed Force. People have, uh, uh, it's canonical that like the reason why he can just change into the Hulk instantly is that his strength and mass is stored in a traveling pocket dimension that surrounds Bruce Banner. <laughs> like there is some crazy sci-fi shit going on, which is again uh, part of the appeal of the Hulk is that within this superhero universe, you have a character who is a horror character, a science fiction character, and a superhero all rolled into one. He is a Superman, Wolfman. Quasimodo, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a famous, uh, Nikola Tesla, <laughs> all rolled into this single green bicep thing. Yes, and that is when, where it gets interesting. And so, so how can you not tell interesting stories? Yeah, and so many people think it's just, you know, oh, it's just Jekyll and Hyde, it's this or that, but there's so much more wrapped into it. And that's why 
we want to pose the question, why have we not gotten that phenomenal solo, specifically Mark Ruffalo helmed, Incredible Hulk movie? Let's talk about Hulk in the cinema. So Hulk on the big screen. Uh, two producers back in, uh, what was it? God, I, I think it was back in... I don't even know what it, it took them forever. Oh, Universal 98, I think 99 was when they started. Universal about had it. the rights for a decade yeah, for and forever. literally Universal was bought by like a Japanese conglomerate. They folded and like sold it off and then it was bought by a Jap- uh, uh the Seagram's beverage company. Everybody the whole time people are trying to get this Hulk thing to happen and nobody wants to. Oh, do by it. the way, it's nineteen ninety, literally the year that the final TV Hulk made for TV movie came out, that they started talking about it. Two producers, Avi Arid and Gail Ann Hurd, begin development on a Hulk movie, uh, and later would invite Stanley to Universal for a meeting along with a man named Michael France, who would uh, was the writer for on Cliffhanger and Goldeneye, two big, very successful movies in the 90s, uh, and uh, who would pin the script. That is, until he was booted from the project because he did not want to run with their idea of Hulk fighting terrorists. John Terman, uh, who is a Hulk fan and later story writer of the horrific Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer film, was brought on to write the script, which set off a chain of events that I would best describe as production hell, which le- <laughs> this led to a slew. I, I mean, my eyes went cross reading about the history of this. It was just a slew of writers reworking the script. Constant change in directors and constant mid-direction from the execs at Universal until France is brought back on to write a script for the third time. I missed one of the times, by the way, and that he was brought on. People would, like, get a shot at this screenplay, be like, what if the Hulk fought a bunch of sharks? Yes, there at one point is famously a Hulk fighting a team of sharks scene in one of the scripts. One version has the Hulk fighting a fusion bug man <laughs> in a in a prison now that's uh, that's a uh, uh, Cronenbergian uh David Hayter gets a run at the thing and uh-huh. he has he goes full nerd he has him fighting the absorbing man and Zacks and the abomination so they bring back uh Michael France to write a script for the third time in 1999 almost a decade after talk of the film started France said someone within the universal hierarchy wasn't sure if this was a science fiction adventure or a comedy I kept getting directions to write both. I think that at some point, when I wasn't in the room, there may have been discussions about turning it into a Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler movie. Well, that's because uh, the star they had attached uh, to the movie was uh, returning guest Billy Crudup. Well, don't worry, Jake, because this is around the time that the incredible director, Ang Lee, joins. Oh, wow, Ang Lee. Dude, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Brokeback Mountains. He has such range, such talent. He can do big action. He can do hyper serious. You know, he can do gay cowboys. He's just got all of the abilities right there in front of him, right? He's the best. I can't believe they got this guy. He's how good you can't get any better than that. And they begin to shoot this film. I guess they finally pared it down to what it's going to be. Did you please tell me you watched this? Yeah, movie? yeah. Okay, thank God. Whoa, you're telling, I did not watch this. Whoa, I've never you're telling seen this me you got Ang Lee directing a Hulk movie with special effects by ILM? Oh, my God. Industrial Life Magic. Eric Bana is playing Hulk. I don't um, know who that is, and I never will. <laughs> He's great. He said that the shoot was ridiculously serious, a silent set, morbid in a lot of ways. And Lee told Banna that uh, uh, Ang Lee went up to Eric Banna and said, we're making a Greek tragedy. 
in this, which I mean, that, not necessarily like you know, not necessarily like there were so so Jake. I, that's about all I have on this one because it's just such a weird. What what was your experience? What 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 did you get out of seeing this film that I always kind of wanted to see out of a morbid curiosity, but uh, never did. Oh, okay. So the deal with the Incredible Hulk movie is it is a weirdly experimental and serious look at the character. There is all these like flashy editing techniques because Ang Lee was working digital for the first time and he was getting overly excited with that. Uh, it's Nick Nolte, I think, is the dad sure. in that. I'll take it. Uh, and he is bedraggled and grizzled and just an alcoholic husk of a man. And he plays Bruce Banner's abusive uh, father. And so the core of the movie is supposed to be Bruce Banner and his dad coming to terms with all the, the abuse and like the the rage and the anger and like the legacy of a father and his son, which is Ang Lee's wheelhouse. But the movie is so poorly constructed that it doesn't work like that. Yeah. So it boils down to like a CG green man fighting a CG Nick Nolte. And it's blurry and shot poorly. There is one cool scene where the Hulk cuts loose in the middle of the desert and fights a bunch of army dudes. Yeah, and that is, I've always wanted to that's watch super that. rad. Just, yeah. if you can just watch just that watch part, that you'll be like, that was the fucking best Hulk movie I've ever done seen. So, but the rest of it just is real, just a head scratcher. And if you can remember back in this time, I mean, we're also dealing with the time where there is no MCU. There's no, no Marvel uh, Spider Cinematic Man, Universe. Like, here's it the thing. Is, uh, Spider-Man and X-Men... Did pretty uh, had, cool. Did yeah. great, and yeah. it gave everyone hope that like this is the new age of the superhero movie, and Hulk is like going to be the third crown jewel, and it wasn't. It was a weird disappointment. It actually confounded like the whole Hollywood industry because it did great on the hype for a new superhero movie, yeah. and it took a precipitous drop in its second week because word of mouth got out that fast that this was not a fun movie. But the story of Hulk films, especially starting with this one, is kind of if you can almost look at it in an academic sense that of watching the MCU figure itself out like you slowly piece by piece watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe converge happening you know behind the scenes like and but really it takes some failures to get something right and it really was these two first two Hulk movies now I did see 2008's Incredible Hulk which I'm about to talk about and I did enjoy it I thought it was fine I don't, uh, I don't really remember it. I really like Edward Norton as an actor, so that was probably why I even watched it in the first place. And I thought it was fine. I bet if I watched it again today, I'd be, like, horrendously bored by the whole thing because of where we're at in terms of superhero films. But The first year I went to New York Comic Con, I went to the Hulk panel, and we got to see, like, secret footage of that one cool fight where, like, Tim Roth fights uh, the Hulk in that, like, open field, and it ends uh -huh. with that fucking crazy front kick that just like knocks him out hell yeah um who is he in in uh reservoir dogs was he mr white or mr orange mr orange okay. i believe uh Fuck, i hope that's right or everyone's gonna get upset with me i i still trust you <laughs> uh so and so i walked out of that panel being like the hulk's gonna be the coolest fucking movie yeah and, uh, and, uh, and it was fine it was fine it was better than the oh three one uh, yeah, also Arguably. Uh, also a ton of behind-the-scenes uh, uh, drama, although it's weird how all of this drama is then like yeah, plastered over by just millions of dollars worth of PR flags. I'm ready to talk about this. So Kevin Feig and crew of the MCU consider Lee's film to be like a parallel universe one-shot comic in order to just brush it under the, under the rug. And this is when they're really starting to talk about there being a Marvel Cinematic Universe. They want the next film to be was to really start the Marvel Hulk franchise. So they bring on Louis Leterrier 
He did the Transporter films. Louis? Those? Lu- or Louis? Louis. It's probably Louis. Louis Leterrier. Uh, yeah, it's probably Louis Leterrier. He's also, by the way, doing the upcoming Dark Crystal movie for Netflix. He wanted Iron Man, apparently, but Favreau snatched that up first. Mm. So uh, he ends up taking the Hulk. His main inspiration was Jeff Loeb and Tim Sales Hulk. Six issue run retelling the origin of Hulk. He's got uh, Zach Penn, who did X2 and Avengers, writing a draft for the first film. And uh, Zach Penn also did drafts on the 2003. Or, or who wrote drafts for the first film, bring, brought on to write this one, and he even retained a couple of elements from his original draft. Edward Norton is then brought on as Bruce Banner and Hulk, but it's stipulated in his contract that he was also given writing credit and able to offer up a draft of the film. Now, while producer and Heard felt that, we couldn't quite figure out how to term this it's kind of a reboot and it's kind of a sequel or requel is the most Hollywood fucking thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. A requel. However, Norton ignored Lee's origin story. I don't even like the phrase origin story, he said. And I don't think in great literature and great films that explaining the roots of the story doesn't mean it comes in the beginning. Leterrier directed four units with a broken foot in 2007 for 88 days. There was 70 minutes of footage, mostly unscripted origin story stuff that they that Norton refused to script, uh, that was not included in the final cut. Although this, it was chopped up and used yes. in that opening montage. Kyle Cooper, by the way, who should get credit, he did that flipping pages Marvel intro that you see before oh. like all of the movies. He was the one who cut that down into that intro that you see so that they could at least shove it into the... I thought that was... At the time, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I was like so happy because even then there was so much origin fatigue. Ugh, yeah, especially when they all started coming. They're like, I get it. He's a normal guy. And then it goes bad. Um, the film. You be careful. Don't you dare use this science to become a hero. I, should I use the science? Yes, we're in the movie. You're going <laughs> to do it. This is, this is a waste of my time. <laughs> so the film does okay in the box office. Critics and fans. Uh, as well are cool with it i guess um and there are definite plans for a sequel and this is when things get uh dramatic no okay first of all the thing with the with the 2008 hulk is uh they didn't like iron man was in production and they didn't realize it was going to be a hit so like all the so nobody knew what the marvel universe was going to be there's a universe where you know the hulk was the one that hit and the breezy kind of improvisational style of uh of Iron Man was a failure. Right. But no, that was refreshing and good. Yes. Uh but I feel like Ed Norton is trying so hard to be cool in this. He's literally doing parkour in Brazil and then taking like MMA meditation Has classes. Has Batman Begins happened yet? Has that happened yet? Uh I probably, think Batman right? Begins happened by then. Right? And he's probably trying to be fucking his version of like you yeah. know what I mean like yeah, I think he's trying to get that Christian Bale juju yeah, going yeah and and that uh what's the director juju going Nolan yeah yeah trying to be that super badass serious dark like it ends on a fight scene that's specifically in Harlem on not Harlem but a block of Toronto that is made up to look like Harlem yeah with uh, a dumb Apollo sign and and you know Banner is not like super fucking serious like that you know what I mean he's not like the yeah no I'm Ed Norton I'm gonna make cool Banner yeah I'm gonna be kinda, yeah I totally get it. I didn't even think about that I totally get that there's a scene that they shot which they would they didn't let it get into the movie uh where the, one of the first things that happened is ed norton travels to antarctica to put a gun in his mouth <laughs> and try and kill himself yeah. and the whole stops him and crushes well the that was when again too they were like wait are we gritty 
because they're doing gritty and it's working and we don't know what to do. It was like before they figured yeah. out like, no, every Marvel movie like needs comedy, needs to have that levity. So uh, anyways, after this first film, there is apparently a Norton helmed sequel in the works involving Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, you might remember him from A Brother Where Out Thou, uh, taking the role of the leader. Well, he's in the first movie. He gets the, yes, the, kinda, the brain juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Really weird effect. Really dumb weird effect on that. But during the years in between the 2008 Hulk film and the Avengers, Feig chose not to bring back Norton. Uh, and he even releases a, pr- a statement that's pretty shade throwy um, that states that they were looking for and I quote an actor who embodies the creativity and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members Norton gets pissed fires back with a statement that insinuated that it was for financial reasons and that Feig made and I quote mean spirited accusatory comments Feig instead goes with Leterrier's apparently first choice uh, for the film which was Mark Ruffalo Now, Norton claimed in 2004 he chose to never play the Hulk again as he wanted more diversity with his career and not wanting to be known for one character for the rest of his life. Sure, fine, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, Ruffalo, let's talk about him. Mark Ruffalo, born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, down-home boy, later raised in Virginia, competing in wrestling in junior high and high school. Check out Foxcatcher to see his moves. Took classes at the Stella Adler Conservatory and co-founded the Orpheus Theater Company, where he spent almost a decade doing, and everyone needs to hear this who wants to be an actor, doing what actors do, which is writing, directing, and starring in his own plays, while also working his ass off as a bartender over a decade, like mm. struggling as an actor. He uh, he ends up uh, being in the original cast of the play, This Is Our Youth, with which actually was a uh, they pr- did a production of it when I was in college. Great play. Definitely check it out. He was friends with the playwright. I didn't write his name down, but he's great. Uh, I think Kenneth Longerman. Is that right? Or am, that, am I insane? Uh, his big break, though, came with his role as Laura Lenny's brother in the Academy Award nominated You Can Count on Me in 2000. Uh, he started getting steady film work after that with movies like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Zodiac. He co-stars in the mystery film Now You See Me, directed by Leterrier. And at the 2010 San Diego Comic-Con Marvel Studios panel, Ruffalo was presented as the new Hulk along with the rest of the cast. 2012's Avengers, do we even need to say this, is a smash hit. Ruffalo, <laughs> smash. Hey, Hulk smash. Ruffalo is lauded for his portrayal. And it seals him into the MCU from then on until today. Marvel realizes that even though Universal still has the rights to distribute uh, standalone Hulk movies, they can just put him in other people's movies. As a cool supporting character, like he basically serves in the comics. Uh, he, it's, I think it's just the Hulk's role for a lot of stuff until they decide to do Planet Hulk. He's in the Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, incredible and an incredible presence in Thor Ragnarok. The perfect example of like, you know, like of, of oh, cool, it's a Thor movie. I'm having a really good time. If you didn't watch the trailers especially, yeah, hell yeah, this is awesome. Mm. Fuck yeah, Hulk's in this? <laughs> like, that's what it always should be, right? You should never be like, you're probably, you know, maybe it'll happen someday. Maybe Planet Hulk or something will happen. But for the most part, it should always be like, hell yeah, Hulk. I forgot he was even in this. You know what I mean? Like, that's you always kind of the Hulk feeling. Hulk is your messy friend. Hulk yeah. is your problematic Yeah, you phase. want him to show up at three in the morning. You yeah. know what I mean? You like, don't want to be responsible for yeah. him. You don't want to, like, be with him 24-7. But if you show up somewhere and fucking Hulk's there, hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah, dude. Hulk's fucking here. 
Yeah, exactly. I really think that that for the, you know, and of course the other reasons, you know, he he has talked about how, you know, Ruffalo has talked about how the, the rights issues with Universal since they have the right of first refusal is the big reason why, but I really think it's the supporting character stuff. I really do. And what made it even messier was these two other failed solo ventures, mm. right? And even though Ruffalo has been t- tried and tested as a great great Hulk, it's still probably scary for execs after two kind of fl- flashes in the pan, especially when it comes to their very precious MCU. And on top of that, it's just plain expensive to film a Hulk in that much Hulkery. You know what I mean? It's a lot of CGI. It's a lot of work. Um, and it seems pretty exhausting to do. Also, I just wanted to mention, because I didn't really know th- uh, enough about this until I uh, started like Googling shit, Ruffalo is hilariously known for spoiling shit. So uh, for all of the like for the Avengers movies, mm-hmm. if you heard about this, like I literally watched the interview with Don Cheadle. Where I think it was like a year before Infinity War came out, and he was just like, dude, you're not going to believe this next one. Don's like, whoa, dude, don't <laughs> say anything. He was just like, oh, man, like everybody dies. <laughs> and Cheadle's like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Look it up. It's hilarious. In real time, you can see Don Chill, who now refuses to do press with Mark Ruffalo because of this stuff. Like, he just is awful about it. I think he accidentally gave out the name for Endgame too, too Probably. early, to which the uh, Russo brothers jokingly t- uh, tweeted back to him, you're fired. Which <laughs> is hilarious. Like, and people, like, it was like a total joke or whatever, but... He just, for some reason, with, like, a big, dumb, stupid smile on his face in interviews is just like, yeah, man, fucking Spider-Man dies. You know what I mean? Like, just, it's so funny. So, anyways, that's Ruffalo. So happy with his his portrayal. He's absolutely incredible. Um, and that's really where we're going to end it with the films. And we're going to round it off with just praising and talking about the incredible planet Hulk. If there's something that you wanted to say, oh, what should I pick up? I'm interested in reading about the Hulk. Planet Hulk is a run of comics starting in 2006 in which Hulk gets sent away to another planet to which he adapts to and attempts to conquer and return to Earth to get revenge. Uh, The main writer is Greg Pak, and Greg Pak is a bit of a genius. He studied political science at Yale University while also writing for the Campus Humor magazine, then studied history at Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. He was going to get into politics, but then he entered NYU's graduate film program. He won awards for his short films. They all look really great. And this leads to uh, him starting writing for Marvel Comics in 2004. Pack said, The inspiration for sending Hulk to an alien planet where he'd battle monsters as a gladiator came from Marvel editor-in-chief Joe Casada. I love the idea from the minute I heard it. So I was blown away when they told me I had the gig and even more blown away when they basically cut me loose to create the whole world. I got inspiration for the story by reading about the real lives of gladiators in ancient Rome and from the stories of figures like Genghis Khan and more contemporary warlords, dictators, and political leaders. Uh, Sun Tzu's Art of, Art of War and Joseph Campbell's Power of Myth played a big role in helping me think through other aspects of the story. I'm very excited about reading this. It seems great. Have you read it? Do uh, you know what? I only picked up individual issues while it was happening, and I was like, oh, man, this sounds great. This is, it, it really seems but it, good. But basically, it just gives the Hulk a world yeah. that's big enough for him to actually have adventures in rather than— And have conflict and not just smash through everything. I think one of the very first things that happens is he gets there and he gets his ass kicked. And he's like, oh, I'm actually fucked here yeah. and I need to figure this out. And that puts him in a much more interesting position. It's also where we get uh, Meek and Korg the Cronin and a lot of the things that we know from uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, right. I was about to ask. I was like, is there a— 
bit of a tie in between because it definitely seems like it. And that's why we may never get a Planet Hulk because they use so much in Ragnarok. But uh, we'll see. Also, uh, this is for uh, actually happening right now. It you know it's been ten years since Planet Hulk has come out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So right now there is one of the most buzzworthy books in comic books is a Hulk book. Again. Oh, cool. Uh, the Immortal Hulk. Cool. Uh, by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett is insanely good. It is. It basically takes uh, a lot of the Peter David stuff and adds a level of Cronenbergian body horror to it. Cool. Where it is the Hulk is constantly mutating and shifting and changing. And the U.S. government is unleashing just all of these gamma of, like, you know, abomination, uh, just all, a who's who Hulk villain cavalcade. It's kind of a – it's almost, I don't know, like a neutron star collapsing of the entire Hulk lore into an incredibly compelling story Neat. with hypnotizingly grotesque artwork. Very cool. I'm definitely into picking that up. And that's not one of the ones I wrote down. I no, also you, have – ser- uh, Seriously, like – Half of the internet right now is cool. people just being like, yo, did you see what fucked up thing happened in Immortal Hulk this week? <laughs> uh, also, I can recommend World War Hulk. Uh, that is actually kind of a part two to Planet Hulk. It's uh, it's also by Greg Pak. And this is essentially like, uh, spoiler alert, but I assume this would happen. Hulk ends up getting back to Planet Earth. And hey, motherfuckers, do you guys just send me to some other planet try to get rid of me? I'm about to beat everybody's ass. Oh, that's like the third reason why he's mad at everyone yeah. on Earth. <laughs> Uh, you also have Tempest Fugit, which is written by Peter David. This is Hulk landing on Monster Island uh, and must uh, fight many crazy things in his path. Again, putting him in a situation where he's a bit challenged. I won't tell you the twist because it's a pretty fun one, uh, so you'll have to check it out. Uh, then you have Hulk Future Imperfect, and this is by Peter David as well, about an Earth in the future after several nuclear wars, which left us with only one city, and Hulk is the strongest one left, known as Maestro. And I believe he's some kind of evil ruler of the world, so they end up some scientists, uh, oh, I, I, actually an elderly Rick Jones to be exact, fixes up Dr. Doom's time-traveling machine to bring a modern-day Hulk into the future to fight himself. And I already mentioned Avengers number one through three, Hey, and if you're asking yourself, <laughs> hey, what about uh, She-Hulk? You guys didn't mention She-Hulk. We'll get to Jennifer we'll get Walters to we'll get in to a it. later episode. Yeah, I think that should be its own thing. And uh, there you go. I think that does it. Thank you so much for joining us for our Incredible Hulk episode. Mary, while we do our plugs, can you uh, play a clip of The Lonely Man, uh, the ending credit song to the Incredible Hulk TV show? Thank you so much for your support. And if you'd like to follow us further, you can check us out on Patreon. New weekly content every single, I already said it, week. Join us, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. It's a great time to get on. I think a lot of people are doing it now because they realize there's such a huge backlog. And I'm not just talking about the shit that comes out of my ass. Also, if you want to follow me further, check me out on Twitch. I love seeing Whizbrew fans show up and say hello. It's always lovely to have you there. It's a great community. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators ho. If you want to join a nice community of people that talk about the things we've talked about each week, uh, go on Facebook and check out the Wizard and the Bruiser group there. Uh, One of the few places online that isn't a total fucking nightmare. Uh, Also, follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And hey, if you like the show, leave an iTunes review. It really helps us out. And hey, hey, always remember, never stop bruising. Keep on listening. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.